0: The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson, and we have a great show lined up for you. We've got a returning guest tonight. Michael Bryan will be with us. By the way, as I say Bryan all night, you need to know his last name is spelled B R E I. And that's important because his website, and if you're looking up any information about him and his books, that's how you'll spell his name. Even though it's pronounced Brian, it's spelled B-R-E-I-N. Anyway, we're going to be talking with Michael. He is a travel psychologist, and he's written some books about strange um, travel stories. In fact, a couple of the books are titled The Road to Strange, and he co-authored those books with the late... Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Now, we all know that Rosemary, well, most of us know, if you've been in this field for any length of time, you know that Rosemary Ellen Guiley is a giant or actually was a giant, sadly, in the paranormal research and um, writing uh, arenas. She uh, authored many, many books on many, many topics that we talk about here, and uh, her research really laid the groundwork for a lot of what we do, and sadly, she passed away in July of this past year. She's already missed, and she will be, but her work will live on. But Michael uh, co-authored two books with Rosemary Ellen, and uh, she's actually, he's actually working on a third with uh, Rosemary's um, husband. So uh, we'll get to know all about that as we have our discussion tonight with Michael. So I'm looking forward to that. A couple things that I want to uh, mention before I get to the meat of our discussion tonight. One is that uh, we encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. I'm very, very pleased to announce we just crossed another milestone on YouTube. And every time we do that, there's a cause for celebration. So we've got a little bit of that tonight. But we don't want to stop there. We want to continue with the effort and uh, keep uh, pumping up those numbers, getting the subscriber count up. Because every time we do that, it helps our videos and our show get pushed to the front when there's search or any other type of inquiry. So, again, if you haven't subscribed, please go to YouTube. Search for J.V. Johnson and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate it in advance. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is that uh, we're all familiar with the TV show, The Twilight Zone, obviously. That's one of those shows that uh, basically spawned a generation of people that uh, were fans of uh, uh, sci-fi and just curious topics. In fact, a lot of what we do here can be traced back directly to to what The Twilight Zone brought to television in the late 50s and into the 60s. And, of course, Rod Serling was the creator and eventual narrator or host, I'm not sure what you'd call him, of The Twilight Zone. He spoke at the beginning of every episode, kind of introduced the story to us. And he wrote many of the episodes. He also wrote a lot of screenplays, including uh, Planet of the Apes, the original, uh, and many others. He's a very, very accomplished sci-fi writer for television and film. And uh, he passed away in 1975. He was only 50 years old at the time. But he died uh, after a medical condition, and he had some surgery, and he never recovered, sadly. But his widow uh, lived on until just a few days ago. And that's the news I'm bringing to you. Carol Serling, or Carolyn is her full name, Serling, died on January 9th. She was 91 years old, just about a month from becoming 92, And she had worked very, very hard since 1975 to keep Rod Serling's legacy alive and keep his work alive. And in fact, during uh, the years after his death, she uncovered some ideas and some um, scripts for other Twilight Zone episodes that were never made. And she uh, actually saw them through, so they were made. And they were broadcast on CBS at one point called, I think it was like Rod Serling's Lost Twilight Zone episodes or something like that. But uh, she made sure that his work... Was seen, heard, and um, and revered in a lot of ways. I had the pleasure of uh, talking with her at one point. In fact, we had a guest on this program early in its um, incarnation. Uh, Douglas Brody, he was a professor at Syracuse University, and um, he's last I knew, he actually moved to Texas, and he's no longer with Syracuse. But he had co-authored an, a biography of Rod Serling with. Carol Serling so he knew her very well well and he brought her on the program once and I had the opportunity to chat with her but Rod Serling's tales fascinating Carol's um, effort to keep his story alive also monumental work and she did a great job of it so um, to the Serling family our thoughts and prayers to you and uh, you know our we love the work that you brought to us and and uh, we will continue to appreciate it for many many years I'd also like to thank sherry klein sherry welcome to uh our list of growing list in fact of patreon supporters thank you so much for your support of the program it's very much appreciated and uh, very much welcome so thank you sherry klein for being one of our new patreon supporters and by the way if you're curious as to how you can do that you just go to patreon and type in Joha, j-o-h-a-w and you too can help support the program or if you're a podcast listener you can support the program by clicking on a link in the description of the podcast that uh, I think it says support this program. And that'll take you through a different way that you can um, actually support us. So we appreciate either way and all of it. Certainly not mandatory, but when, when you uh, do that for us, it is appreciated. So thank you for doing that, uh, Sherry Klein. Um, one other thing I want to mention, starting not tomorrow night, but, a, but two weeks from tomorrow night, we will have a regular feature here on the program. We will start a feature called History Behind the Haunt. It'll be our Wednesday night show. And what we will do is we will have a representative from a notoriously haunted location. Most of these locations you've probably seen of or heard of if you've paid attention to any of the paranormal reality shows that have aired over the past 15 years. And we will take... uh, our guest and we will learn not just about the haunting of the location but more importantly the history of the location you know what was this particular location used for what was uh, what happened there that may have been the fuel for whatever paranormal activity exists there tell us who the people were in, in history not the not the ones that we think may have been there but the ones that are historically documented that have been there? What did they do there? Those stories are always just as fascinating as the stories of the haunt themselves. So we'll have an opportunity to start talking about this again two weeks from tomorrow. We will start that feature. And again, it's called History Behind the Haunt. I'm excited about this because I love having that particular conversation. I love talking about what makes a place the place that we know. You know, why is this This gorgeous building sitting here in disrepair. What happened here when it was active? How many people were walking through these halls and what were they doing? You know, those kinds of things. So excited about that. And if you have a location that you think might be a good location for us to include in History Behind the Haunt, email our producer. It's Slick Eddie Edwards. And now Eddie is spelled E-D-D-Y. Edwards at gmail.com. Eddie is taking recommendations. He's making those connections for us. And if you've got a place that you think would be great for this segment, this, uh, this uh, feature, please let us know about it. We'd appreciate that very much. Our phone number, if you want to join our discussion later in the conversation, it's a new listener line. I've mentioned that several times, but I need to remind you, the new listener line is 607-282-4029. 607-282-4029. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we'll bring our guest. Again, tonight we're talking with Michael Bryan. He is a travel psychologist. We're going to be talking about his books that include The Road to Strange, True Travel Tales, and others. It's Beyond Reality. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Beyond Reality Paranormal. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. I'm going to ask that you support this program. The easiest way to do that, by the way is if you're listening as a podcast, you just open up the description of the episode and you scroll down to the bottom. And at the bottom, there is a link that says support this podcast if you click on that you'll be taken to a page that gives you a couple of options for supporting the show we greatly appreciate it it helps us bring great programs to you every week and we look forward to continuing to do that and if you're enjoying the program on youtube there's another way you can support the show just go to the description you'll see a link to a patreon page it's joha j o h a w and if you go to the patreon page you'll be able to pledge an amount to help support the show as well once again thanks for your support Thank you for listening. Please share it with your friends.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG.
0: We've got a great show for you tonight. Michael Bryan will be with us. The travel psychologist. He's back. He was here before. We had a great Time with him. Last time he was on the show, he's going to be sharing tra- uh, tales of travel, both abnormal and paranormal. Michael, welcome back to Beyond Reality. Great to have you here.
1: All right, thanks for having me.
0: You, um I'm trying to remember when you were on last. It's got about a year. I think it was when <laughs> the Road to Strange came out, right?
1: Uh, right. We had two books in the series. Had I written both of the books by that time? Do you think?
0: Or? I think you did Maybe because I ha- sure. I have both of them here, so uh, oh, I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we had that discussion. Now, obviously, uh, something very very important to mention, and I know that you'd probably like to take a minute to recognize your co-author who we sadly lost last year.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, a giant in in uh, paranormal research, and um, I, I, you can't say enough about her work. Of course, Rosemary Mary Ellen Guiley, sorely missed already.
1: Absolutely, uh, what a loss that was. Uh, but, uh, life goes on and her husband, Joe, is continuing with their company, Visionary Living. And, uh, I've been talking with Joe a little bit. We're probably going to do a third book in the series, start that fairly soon. We're going to have some discussions. I wanted to, uh, give him some time, uh, you know, to, organized and continue on with the company and, uh, you know, deal with his loss. And uh, we'll soon be talking about a third book in a series. He feels like we've been doing quite well with the book and people like the books. And uh, so we should begin on a new one shortly.
0: Well, that's good news. Um, Let's kind of Take this back to the beginning because uh, we have a lot of new folks that are listening to the program, may not have heard our first discussion. So the first question out of the blocks is, what is a travel psychologist?
1: Good question. Uh, I'm the first one, and who knows if somebody will follow in my footsteps. But uh, when I was doing my graduate work in psychology, uh, I always had the travel bug. And I started thinking about travel, such an important part of our lives for many of us. Uh, I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. And so I tailored my studies often to subjects like cross cultural experiences, uh, other languages. I moved to Hawaii. I went to graduate school there. Really hard decision to do that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Hawaii is so multicultural. And travel is such an important part of life in Hawaii. I was in the perfect place. So I really custom designed, so to speak, uh, the whole idea of what the psychology of travel is all about. I never really heard much about it before I started to get involved with that.
0: Is there something to be said for matching a person with a location? Is that part of the psychology? There are certain places that people will gravitate toward based on their personality, maybe uh, the environment they grew up in or whatever it happens to be?
1: You know, that's that's a very good question. And I think that reflects a modern, growing trend. You know, you hear so much these days about overtourism, that is standing in long lines, many people were horrified with looking at the uh, images of long lines of people climbing Mount Everest and you know, who wants to do that? Right. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we feel we need to have bragging rights and we need to, uh, see and do some of the things that many people have done before us. So there is a trend now to try to understand the person and match people with experiences, uh, Not an easy task, I'll tell you. But uh, try to create a travel experience that will be very good and fulfilling and get away from the idea of, of always going to crowded over tourist places. So that is a modern trend. Is
0: there a difference between the type of person, and I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if this falls within you know, your area of expertise or not, but is there a difference between the type of person who, say, would choose a beach as a place, as a destination for travel, versus someone who would go to a medieval castle uh, to learn about the history as, a, as a, an option for travel? And do those two people think and act differently?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's why I'd say before you commit yourself to traveling with someone for a long period of time, go away for an extended weekend and get to see how each other uh, deal with the situation and see if you're compatible. People have a lot of great differences when it comes to doing anything, let alone travel.
0: Well, I can say this of the two choices i just outlined i'd much rather be in the castle exploring it versus being on a beach i get bored on a beach within 8 minutes i think i think i'm done <laughs> i don't yeah, know what well, it is i just can't case in point. i can't find a way but, to occupy myself on a beach
1: well going to graduate school in Honolulu i just had to learn how to deal with sitting on a <laughs> beach or sitting in the beach park reading all my books for my exams coming up i had a Uh, beach chair and on the back of it said comprehensives or bust uh, that's that's where i studied for my exams under a palm tree in the beach park so you can get used to
0: it I i suppose you could especially if i've got a drink with a little umbrella on it i might be able to do okay with that
1: um Exactly.
0: So apart from the paranormal, which we're going to get into talking about some of those stories as well, you've written about uh, travel in general. In fact, one of the series of books you've got is travel guides uh, to sightseeing by public transportation.
1: Yes, I did. I was that was a first, I was the first one uh, to, to really think about how to get the most out of visiting a big city by using public transportation. It was a very green subject. It was a very popular subject for people who uh, wanted to, you know, not contribute to greenhouse gases. And uh, uh, by taking public transportation, you're closer to the people. So I got it into my head to develop a travel guide in Honolulu to show people how they could go to the top 50 visitor attractions in Honolulu by the public bus system, which is terrific. yeah. And I discovered, for example, for a simple bus fare, which started out as quarter in the early days, you could get on a bus and literally go around the island. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be good to guide people to do that? And then the second day or the third day, they can certainly go back to places that they passed and wanted to do uh, more with. So I actually turned that into about 14 other travel guides, uh, and there were about five that I researched, but I didn't really uh, produce the guides. And these cities included Paris and London and Berlin, Madrid, Barcelona, Sydney, Chicago. I worked on New York, but I didn't produce a guide for that. Los Angeles. Now, people say you can't get anywhere other than driving your own car in L.A., but I proved them wrong. Wow. You can get to see the top 50 visitor attractions in the L.A. basin by using some of their different transportation, including light rail. Uh, they have a subway. There's, there's things about public transportation in L.A. that people just don't know because they, they don't think about it. So I did that whole series fairly early on, and uh, they still sell today even uh, as we speak people are getting them.
0: Well, I would imagine the public transportation part of that certainly is rather timeless, although, you know, there may be some minor modification to that. But I remember when I was in college, and I used to go to Europe uh, almost every summer during college, and... Um,
1: rough
0: life, huh? Yeah, well, I used to I I used to save all my money all year, and then I'd put a backpack on, and I'd go. And I'd always buy those books, Um, you know, Europe on $5 a day or whatever it I happened. Remember those? Remember yeah. those? Yeah, I mean, that, oh, they, yeah, oh, they were great. They yeah. were great, and, and they offered some real good practical advice to be able to travel around Europe, in my case, and do it rather affordably. Sounds like your books kind of helped do that as well.
1: Yeah, you know, just a small folding map that when you opened it up, it had a huge map of the underground. And I remember one lady saying to me she had a fight with the concierge of her London hotel who was always grabbing the map from her to show other guests of the hotel where to go. And so by the time she got through her trip, it was in shreds. She actually got a second one from me.
0: You, um, in addition, have written about uh, travel tales. In fact, you have a series of books called True Travel Tales too. Now, is this an effort to um, take what would be considered travel successes, travel nightmares, travel? What, what What's the emphasis of the stories in these
1: books? It's, it's all of the above. But basically, uh, when I was uh, working on the idea of trying to learn about what's behind travel, what is the psychology of the travel experience, I came to a really interesting conclusion, and that was, well, you want to learn about people's travel experiences, just ask them. And and that I did. I was kind of like Forrest Gump in a way. Uh, I had my tape recorder in the beginning and digital recorders uh, more lately. And uh, just seeking out travelers wherever I could find them, sitting them down, interviewing them. And, you know, as time goes by, I wound up with something like uh, 1,800 to 2,000 interviews maybe somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 accounts of uh, people's wonderful, great, terrific, bad, horrible horror stories. Uh, And I've collected these, and to this day, I now search out certain topics, and I'm writing on them. And I did a book. I'm going to tell you that not a lot of people wanted to get this book, but it was called, it is called, Travel tales, women alone, the me too of travel. Mm. I wrote that book because I thought people really needed to know that while mostly it's travel is safe if if you're careful and think about what you're doing, but uh, women and younger girls uh, can get themselves in trouble, and I put that book together in order to show about ninety five or so to a hundred examples of people that got themselves in trouble, and and I tried to come up with a series of travel tips uh, to help people uh, avoid the potentially dangerous situations. But again, I feel that travel is mostly safe, but you have to be aware and you have to not run on automatic when you're overseas like you might just yeah. do at home. Yeah. You can't just travel and not think about it. Right.
0: Um, I, I know from personal experience that uh, in many of the European countries, uh, women are treated differently than they're treated here. Um, you know, it's 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 not, and again, maybe things have changed. But when I was traveling often over there, I I remember, you know, be, men would be catcalling and whistling and oh, yeah. and doing all sorts of things that you just would we considered very rude here. Um, so
1: that's I, right. It's a, it's an eye opener. But I want to tell you a quick account of uh of an Italian woman who's married to a, a friend of mine. And uh, when she was a uh, high school and young college girl, even traveling in some of the cities of Italy, uh, she noticed that on some of the metros and buses, uh, you know, people were doing things they shouldn't be doing. And she had a great solution. Her solution was a hat pin. And then she'd uh, something would happen. She'd pull that hat pin out of her hat, and she would do a in the right direction with that hat pin, and then you'd hear a <laughs> muffled shout by somebody who you couldn't pick out. I said, how accurate were you? And she said, oh, most of the time she was pretty accurate. It didn't hurt the person, but it, it sure uh, taught whoever did that a good lesson. So that's my favorite story of how a local person dealt with stuff like that on public transportation.
0: Whenever I've traveled, Uh, I always feel as though I'm much more aware, I'm much more awake, and I'm I'm much more alive. What is it about travel that, that makes our, in most cases, heightens our senses, makes us look at the world completely differently?
1: This is very exciting because you get to a new place, and one of the reasons you want to travel is because you love novelty. We all want to have new information about things. We want new experiences. And here's what's great about travel. If you uh, do more and more and more of it, you get better at solving little problems, get a roof over your head, get a meal, communicate with somebody, uh, and then you feel really happy. Your self-confidence and self-esteem grows with you as you morph from a tourist to a traveler, a person with more experience. And that happens so fast that it's so exciting that, all the positive benefits that come from that happen quickly, and you're rewarded, reinforced, and you actually grow up a little bit, and you mature, and you get better at it. And that's very fascinating, very rewarding.
0: There are some people that are just afraid to travel. There, there are people, and I know, I'm in upstate New York. I know people in upstate New York that have, I don't think they've ever left New York State, maybe not even the county they live in. Uh, why do some people hesitate so much when it comes to traveling and exploring?
1: Yes, that's so true. For some people, they want their lives to be totally predictable and reliable uh, with no unknowns and no uncertainties. Uh, Maybe they become anxious when they actually have to deal with things. That's why when we live in our own culture and our own neighborhoods don't venture out very far, everything becomes predictable, and you don't have to think about it, and you don't get anxious, and you don't get uncomfortable and the less you have to think about it, the better. But then you're missing out on all the kinds of experiences that those that are bitten by the travel bug uh, have the wander the, the extreme desire to go out and experience more and more travel.
0: Uh, you say predictable, and I know that's a kind word because I would say boring. <laughs> I would be rather bored well, if I didn't get to you get know, out.
1: You and I, and so many of us, so many out in the listening audience, Uh, once they start to do a little bit of adventure and just see how beneficial it is to them, they want more and more of it. And uh, sometimes uh, when you say that a person gets bitten by the travel bug, it's almost like an addiction. It's very rarely where you see somebody that cannot control their appetite for traveling. But I did meet people in my years of travel who uh, that's all they do is just travel and go from... A to B, and that's all they do. And they just uh, do it until their money runs out, and then they go home or go somewhere and work. Uh, there are some of those people. Those are quite extreme.
0: Michael, let's talk a little bit about um, your work with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. We mentioned it in the beginning of our discussion, but how did that collaboration get started?
1: You know, I knew Rosemary uh, for years and years. Uh, I had some other interests besides just purely uh, travel and graduate school and things like that. And I uh, was also interested and still am very much in the paranormal subjects. Uh, And years ago, I was visiting uh, in England, and uh, I was looking into some of the crop circles. I had a good friend of mine, an English friend of mine who was, Uh, the editor of the Crop Circle Monthly Journal, and very much uh, into that. So he and I explored some of these crop circles, and I stayed at his house. uh, And uh, at the time, his wife was there as well. And Rosemary, who I'd seen in conferences here and there since the middle 80s, uh, we knew each other and uh, knew something of each other's work and writings, and uh, just became friends over the years, and then she actually grew up in this area uh, north of Seattle. I live on Bainbridge Island, which is across from Seattle, and that was a little bit of a synchronicity when I saw her pop up on Facebook saying that she was coming out here with her uh, new husband, and uh, I said, "Rosemary, I'm here. I live here," and and we got together a few times over lunches and dinners. Started exploring the idea of writing together because she knew I collected uh, all these uh, travel tales of all different kinds of subjects, and some of the subject matter definitely overlapped with Rosemary's interests. So we had uh, the paranormal and uh, crop circles and UFOs uh, as, as areas that we were both interested in. So we talked more about uh, writing together, and that's how we developed the two books. That we've written. So
0: then um, give me an outline basically of what the Road to Strange series is about.
1: The Road to Strange is basically about unusual unconventional kinds of experiences people have that are just not normally don't normally happen to people or they don't talk about it. It does happen to a lot of people actually. And Uh, I discovered early on in my interviews with all these people that a certain small percentage of the stories that people would tell me when I would say, maybe you could share with me some of your most interesting or odd or strange uh, experiences. And a small percentage, like around 5% of their stories would begin with, oh, well, I had this really unusual experience and I don't normally talk a lot about it but i always encourage them go on you know and they turn out to be stories uh that are very very different from normal experiences so rosemary and i were trying to be, think of a great term a great title that would summarize in just a few words what would be uh, uh a, a good label for 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 a collection of such experiences and the road to strange just uh popped up and i just remember rosemary saying bingo when we had a list of potential names for our series and it just fell into place just uh, one afternoon that's how the road to strange began
0: and there are currently two books in that series uh one of them is that's, U- that's right ufos aliens and high strangeness and the other is travel uh, of the paranormal and beyond um, travel tales, yeah,
1: of the paranormal and beyond, because uh, we were trying to uh, divide some of these sorts of experiences in, up in, in a way that uh, that books, individual books, could focus on various aspects of it independently. So the paranormal uh, book uh, contains uh, the, uh, mainly stories of that I've collected in my interviews and some from Rosemary and her husband. Uh, of a paranormal psychic nature, uh, and then a whole group of other uh, stories that came from interviews that that we all have done uh, focused on uh, basically the UFO experience. So it conveniently divided itself into that way of uh, isolating the material for two different books. But in reality, there are plenty of people that have a little bit of both kinds of experiences. There is that group of people. Uh, And there's plenty of people that have had unusual uh, psychic sort of experiences, like going to haunted hotels or uh, uh, having some really unusual kind of premonition or precognition. And then there are other people that have had UFO experiences. But lately, I've been seeking out people that have had a little bit of each, because I think there's a potential relationship uh, between these sorts of things. Uh, One doesn't exclude the other, but uh, there are people that have had, uh, that claim they've had psychic experiences and also uh, UFO type of encounter experiences.
0: And that's your, the next book in this particular series? I think you're working on those types of um, collections?
1: Well, of course, I want to explore this with the, uh Joe Redmiles rosemary's husband uh but one of the things that fascinates fascinates me uh, are are people who uh have had a little bit of uh a variety of experiences so they they can sort of make a uh, chronology of some of the uh psychic kinds of things that have happened to them uh and, and they could talk about some of the UFO sightings that they feel that they've had And so I've been looking for people that seem to have a little bit of each and wanting them to kind of tell their stories, uh, uh, about what sorts of experiences they've had over their lives and how they see themselves, how they define themselves, how they would describe themselves to other people, uh, what their philosophies of life are, uh, and how these experiences, how they cope and deal with these experiences and, uh, Uh, how these have affected their lives. So right now I have a collection of about 15 of these people. And if there's anybody out in the listening audience that feels that you are one of these people, I think uh, it's great to have uh, the stories of a collection of people like this, because maybe we can understand it a little bit differently by looking at what happens to people over their lives and, and about them and how this affects them, and maybe we'll get some other insights as to what's going on. We really don't know a whole lot about the psychology of people that have these experiences. We know that so many of us do have a small percentage of our our experiences in our lives can be of these sorts of things, and uh, like I say, while interviewing people and asking them for interesting, unusual experiences very often, They volunteer either a paranormal kind of thing that occurred to them or maybe a UFO experience. Uh, About 5% of my stories are like that.
0: Uh, This is an interesting characteristic uh, that you're talking about among some people. And we've had several guests, many guests actually, on the program that have uh, shared whether uh, it's a a multitude or a, a Several different stories that span several different what we would consider to be paranormal classifications. And, uh, you know, we'll have people on that say they've 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 had a Bigfoot experience and they've also had a ghost experience and they've had a UFO experience. And these people um, I referred to as uh, paranormal magnets, um, you know, many, many, many times they'll often write about these experiences because they have so many of them. As you have gotten to know some of these people, Michael, have you noticed any characteristics that might be common among them?
1: I would say I've developed two kinds of mantras in dealing with people like this and meeting them and talking to them. One is uh, how vehement people are in saying, I know what I saw. I know what I saw. Uh, And the other mantra is if but one of these is true. Now, let me just say that I personally feel like I've had a variety of uh, paranormal experiences of my own, and I certainly say uh, I know what I've experienced, and I, I can I can really see where uh, uh, certainly a number of things that happened to me, other people feel uh, seem somewhat credible to them. Uh, so there are a lot of people out there who are just like your your brothers or your sisters or your mothers or your aunts or your neighbors who you find credible and who seem sincere, and they don't seem crazy in any way. Uh, And they have these experiences, and you begin to realize there are lots of people who who have some odd uh, experiences. And uh, I don't think it's fair to just write them off or to come to some quick conclusion, oh, that's not science. Uh, or uh no, no, not possible, therefore it can't happen. Uh, people criticize uh, the study of uh, the paranormal or u- UFOlogy, ufology by saying it's not scientific, there is no evidence, but they're usually the people don't don't read any of the books on these subjects right they don't bother to waste uh you know to to invest any of their valuable time in it uh the late Stanton Freeman. Uh, was really terrific this way. Uh, uh, he, he had some great ways to characterize very closed minded and debunking people who, uh, were not honestly skeptical. That is open to evidence and open to researching, looking into things. Uh, they're very dismissive. Uh, they won't accept the possibility of anything happening because it can't happen. Uh, that's, uh, I feel the same way.
0: But as you look at people who are multiple experiencers, whether they have UFO and ghost or psychic or Bigfoot or whatever it happens to be, are there any patterns that you start to pick up on? I know you've talked to a bunch of these people. Is there, is there anything geographic about the pattern? Is there anything cultural, cultural or maybe spiritual? Have you noticed anything like that?
1: I'm sure there are perspectives where you can take close looks at these. I don't see anything I can really point to directly, yeah. definitively, and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that I can understand that. I basically feel like uh, when I relate to people who share these experiences with me, I have to go to some extent with my own feeling. How do I feel about this person? Uh, uh, you know, what is the vibe I get? And, uh, very often I find that these people are quite normal in every other respect. They don't strike me as, uh, off or, or crazy in any way. Uh, they seem sincere and they, they feel that they've genuinely had these experiences. And when they have a lot of them, you, you have to think about the likelihood that some of it, you can accept you may not accept it all you might find uh some of it as uh, e- even hard for you to accept but i like to stay open to it and uh go with my feelings about the people when i'm with them and uh that's all that any of us can really do and uh, the the
0: experiencers that you're talking to that have had multiple experiences Are these related to their travels? Is that what you're looking at specifically, or is it anyone that has had multiple types of experiences? Well, some of it,
1: let me just say that I've recorded many of these stories in the process of gathering travel stories. Uh, But at the same time, I started looking at the UFO phenomenon when I was 15 years old. And for many, many, many years, I involved myself in that subject. So I think that... uh, because I'm open-minded to it, at the same time, I involve myself in science. So, for example, high school, I was heavily involved in uh, chemistry and physics and math. I even went to engineering school for my first year. I was a scientist, so to speak. And then when I went to do my advanced degrees in psychology, uh, I was a social scientist. But I feel as if I've always been An open minded social scientist who knows basically what the scientific method is, but at the same time, I'm open minded enough to accept that science as we know it now does not necessarily provide the answers we seek, especially in some of these very complicated uh, subjects. And and at the same time, I remember meeting uh, a fairly significant number of people who were scientists and engineers by profession and they were professors and they had secret labs where they were studying ESP and uh, I knew a professor at Berkeley who was uh, really interested in UFO phenomena. These people were open-minded at the same time they knew what science, modern science and mathematics was all about. And uh, those are my kinds of people. And uh, so I say that e- even the road to strange that so many of us are on uh, through our, lo- just our normal lives and our travel lives, this overlaps quite a bit uh, with their normal everyday existences. They have these experiences. They're curious about them. They want to know about them. And I always felt uh, from a teenager on that there was something to some of these other subjects that uh, a lot of people were afraid to get involved in if they were looking to establish careers, like being on a career track uh, to get tenure in a university. There were some areas you just don't broach, at least not publicly. Uh, I've been on both sides of looking at this, this phenomenon from a scientific point of view and from a human point of view, hey there's experiences that we just don't have good explanations for
0: yeah, I've always uh, scratched my head a little bit about the science the general community the scientific community's approach to some of this it always seemed to me that the whole idea of of science is to get answers to some relatively tough in many cases questions, and uh, for that community to be so closed minded at times, not everybody. Uh, it kind of baffled me, because it seems like it would be the scientists that would have the most inquisitive mind and want to get to the bottom of some of this stuff. But it's easily dismissed by that community in many cases.
1: Because a lot of them feel that in order to establish themselves career-wise, that they have to you know, yes. adhere to the straight and narrow path and not uh, make too many waves. Uh, there were some famous scientists that uh, got involved in the uh, UFO subject, for example, over the years, and uh, life was not kind to them in terms of their careers at universities. The late John Mack is a great example of this. He uh, was very much involved with psychiatry at Harvard University, and he discovered on his own that he thought that some of the uh, people that he met who claimed that they had uh, what seemed to be abduction types of experiences Uh, he began to see that there was uh, quite likely something really to that subject. And he was at Harvard, and they tried to run him out of Harvard, but uh, he stood his ground, and uh, they never could do that to him. But uh, he was a brave soul, and uh, there are not so many people that were as brave as he was, but there are more and more people with advanced degrees and scientific backgrounds that are interested in some of these uh, things you find along the road to strange, that they're not so afraid uh, as much anymore to you know, look into these other subjects.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a bit of an attitude shift, which is very, very welcome. Tonight, we're talking with Michael Bryan. We're talking about his books, including The Road to Strange. Thank you for being here tonight. Or thank you for listening to this program as a podcast or a, an archive program on YouTube. Regardless, we appreciate you joining us, whatever form it takes. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. YouTube is quickly becoming a, a hub of our activity in our global community. Just go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. When you find it, subscribe, hit the notification icon. That way you'll be alerted when we stream live there or we upload bonus content. Regardless, there's about 500 back episodes of Beyond Reality on the YouTube channel. It's all there for free. You can watch any or all of it. It might take you some time to watch all of it, but there's a bunch there. And there's also playlists, so it's categorized. Into uh, you know particular topics. So if you're interested in ghosts, all the ghost uh, shows are kind of uh, collected together. Or if you're interested in UFOs, same idea. Uh, there are many shows where we cover multiple topics. That gets a little more complicated. But either way, you'll find stuff that you enjoy there. If you enjoy this program, um, a couple other things I just want to mention. We have uh, to thank Sherry Klein, uh, who has uh, become one of our Patreon supporters. We appreciate Sherry joining us. There, Thank you for doing that, Sherry. It's very much appreciated and very much welcome. Um, The other thing to know is that our phone number is 607-282-4029 if you want to join our conversation. Tonight we're talking with Michael Bryan. We'll bring him back in in just a moment. Before we do that, looking ahead to tomorrow night, Jessica Adams will be here. Jessica is an astrologer. She'll talk about her new book called 2020 Vision, and she'll also discuss her thoughts On Nostradamus. And then Thursday night's program, returning guest Sandra Mendelson will be here. She's an animal communicator, and she'll talk about what the animal world knows that humans don't and what they're telling her. She's been communicating with animals for some time now, and they have a lot to say, according to Sandra. She's been on the program before, and she'll be returning Thursday night. Looking forward to that. And just so you know, we've got best of programs coming up next week. I'll be on the road. Uh, enjoying what I guess would be considered a bit of a vacation. uh, But I'll be checking into chat and doing all those things as those best ofs are playing. So uh, they're great interviews, some great stuff. In fact, when I go into the archives and and look for shows to use as best of programs, um, I'm often reminded how, how many great guests we've had on this show. It's really fantastic, and it's a real honor to talk to all of them, including our guest tonight, Michael Bryan. Michael is a travel psychologist, maybe the only travel psychologist. He's certainly the first, and we're talking about uh, tales of travel, both abnormal and paranormal. And uh, your books, uh, Michael, The Road to Strange, the two volumes that you co-authored with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, you talk about high strangeness. Now, I think it was Alan Hynek that coined that term, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Mm -hmm. But what does high strangeness mean to you? High
1: strangeness is uh, is a label that we uh, attach to uh things that are just out of the ordinary, I, I would say. Uh for example, uh you have a-, a coincidence that just doesn't seem possible that it could happen just by chance. Uh all of a sudden it becomes wow. It catches your attention. It grabs your attention. It says to you, there's something more going on here. Pay attention. Um, synchronicity is a, is a great illustration of how uh, it's so easy to try to write things off as being ordinary. But when you take that moment and reflect and go, aha, aha. Uh, this is catching my attention. This is giving me a message. You begin to realize this is in a whole different category by itself. So, if you're fortunate enough, as I have been, to interview people uh, and uh, uh, and and look for these sorts of experiences, that if they're willing and happy to share them, uh, they they fit in with uh, that idea. Wow, this is out of the ordinary, this is a little strange. Uh, So I call that high strangeness.
0: As you started to collect these stories, did you just put a call out for, hey, tell us what weird stories, what what some weird things that happened to you while you were traveling that might be related to uh, something paranormal? Or did you uh, talk to folks about just general travel and then start to find the fact that, you know, some of these people actually had some paranormal encounters while they were on the road?
1: Uh, yeah, that's true. I had a tendency to really zero in on uh, if I get a hint of uh, something odd or unusual, I might just start out uh, asking them where they've been, where they're going, what they're doing. And uh, the more they talk, I then uh, try to see if, uh, let's just say, something psychological uh comes to the fore. Uh, If the person, for example, had been pickpocketed, then I'll explore what happened, and I'll ask them to recreate it step by step, and I will say, gee, now what might you do, what would you have done differently if you had it all over to do? The minute I sense something that's of psychological interest, then I kind of zero in on it, and I do generally ask people if, if they've had any unusual experience or uh, uh, like good, wonderful, bad, or horrible. And normally they know what they want to tell you. You know, they, they are eager to share experiences with you because, let's face it, not everybody wants to listen to your travel stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I do. I want to hear your stories. And that's been my approach. Um, oh, can I also, uh, J.B., just add that if people want to contact me more directly, could I give them a, a simple email address?
0: Absolutely, sure.
1: Okay, well, it's the same thing. It's Michael Bryan, as in michaelbryan.com, but michaelbryan at gmail.com. And I encourage people, if they think they may have an interesting story about the various subjects we've discussed, to feel free to get in touch with me and especially someone that might feel that they've had multiple kinds of experiences and they might want to have their story included with a number of others, feel free to email me and we could talk about it.
0: As you were getting these stories, obviously you have an interest in travel. You also have an interest in the paranormal. But I also know that when I talk to people about, say, ghost stories, Every once in a while, I come across one that makes me uh, shudder a little bit, maybe a little chill down my spine. You get any of those?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Especially experiences I've personally had uh, in my travels. I began to realize as I was doing more writing with Rosemary Ellen Guiley that, gee, you know, I've had more than my share of these experiences. And you know what? a number of them have been while I've been traveling so i began to think about that and as i interview other people in their travels i begin to begin to realize that the experience of traveling uh predisposes you a little bit to being open to and having some of these experiences so uh you're not always sure what you're going to get when you're traveling but i think that Two things that happen with travel that result in maybe you having uh, an unusual, high, strange, or paranormal experience. I'm not saying necessarily a UFO experience per se. That can happen anywhere. But I think two things happen. One, you're so much more open to novelty and to the universe. And your openness encourages uh, having more experiences. So you're ready to receive experiences in a certain way. Now, that's another way, another way of looking at that as well is that I think we've had hardwired into us, built into us, safety and security needs. These are like the most basic of the human needs that many of us have had in a psychology 101 course, the notion of Abraham Maslow's needs pyramid. At the bottom of the pyramid are basic safety and security needs and then love and then all the way up to self-realization, uh, self uh, realization, self-actualization. Be all that you can be. And travel tends to help us move up that pyramid because we're not so concerned with safety and security, but we're more open to growing personal growth and satisfying these more intellectual needs and again, trying to achieve something more about our lives. And so that tendency to be open to new experience invites, in a way, uh, having more of these experiences, and also the notion that you want to be safe and you want to be secure, and that's very basic and very fundamental. I think that also operates when you travel, when you're in an exploratory, adventurous mood. You... uh, are also more concerned with being safe and secure and protected. And I think some of the paranormal and psychic kinds of experiences kick in when you're in a new environment because I think it's just built into our survival mechanisms as as we evolve as humans over the millennia.
0: Is that part of what I had asked earlier when I said that, you know, what is it about travel that kind of awakens our senses? Uh, Is that part of what you're saying there?
1: I think you nailed it. Uh, Yes. Uh, And I'll tell you another thing uh, that a lot of people don't really think of, and I thought of, excuse me, uh, in my studies of, of psychology and travel, is I began to think about, isn't this an interesting experience how many of us got to do like a semester abroad or went over to Europe and our parents encouraged us and often helped us to do that. And I began to think about this because that's a ritual every year, uh, tens of thousands of people from all over the world more so today, but it used to be Western Europe and, uh, you know, Australia, Canada, America, Britain to begin with, uh, You encounter people traveling during the summers, extended adventures. And I think of that uh, as the Western walkabout. You know the Aboriginal walkabout in Australia? That's basically where young people uh, in the Aboriginal tribal areas of Australia set off on their own uh, to do some travel and adventure in order to mature and grow. And they come back somewhat being more of an adult than when they left. And secretly, I think our parents understand that when we go off on our adventures, we're doing our own Western walkabout where we are actually growing, maturing, developing more self-conf- uh, uh, self-esteem, self-confidence because of this experience of being open and seeking to grow. So, yes, we have a wanderlust for novelty and to achieve and become more of who we can be, and, and travel has enabled us to do that.
0: Do you think there's also something to be said for the fact that uh, locations that people tend to travel to are locations that all, you know are, are, are tourist destinations that a lot of people travel to, and uh, therefore there might be some connection at those places to, um, say, people that have passed on, and that was a place they loved, so maybe a spirit returns there. Uh, anything like that that you noticed in, in looking at these stories?
1: Oh, abso- uh, yes, yes, for sure. I have run into people who felt that they uh, knew places that they came to, that they'd been there before, deja vu experiences. Uh, some people feel like they've had past lives, uh, that their roots and their ancestry uh, come from certain places. They go to rediscover some of this. Uh, ancestry travel is really big these days. People want to go back and, and see where they've come from. I've had, I remember this, this couple told me stories of their visits to Ireland, and the woman telling the story was relating to me how she feels she connected with prior uh, ancestral presence. Uh, in Ireland, and uh, she had some uh, strange things occurring to her that she feels were related. She felt like she was drawn back to Ireland. You know, you can't necessarily explain things definitively, but, yes, people are drawn to certain places uh, because of maybe who they are, who they were, and some of it is, is likely to be paranormal,
0: Michael, you've talked to a lot of people. You've collected a lot of stories. You've included many of them in your books, including The Road to Strange. Uh, there must be some that stick out to you as being particularly eerie or curious or interesting or whatever criteria you use. Uh, can you share one or two with us?
1: Yeah, I've got, I've got two uh, right, right at the forefront here that I think uh, the audience would find fascinating. Uh, one is uh, a synchronicity experience. Now, I've had many of those. Uh, Everybody feels like you run into somebody now and again, uh, which just seems to defy chance and so strange and interesting. Well, I had an experience that I call the Ashland Connection. Ashland, Oregon is where I lived for about 13 years, and I had a ranch there. And uh, so I was living there, and I was about to go to a book fair uh, in New York City at the end of May. Uh, and so uh, to take my travel guides and display them uh, to people at this uh, book show in New York City. So I flew from uh, Ashland or Medford to Philadelphia to basically visit my sister. And I, on the plane, I, I grabbed the Hemispheres magazine, put it in my attache case, figured I'll look at it later. Why don't I try to get United Airlines to maybe take a look at my travel guides. That was the idea. I get to Philadelphia, visit my sister, take the train now up to New York City for that weekend, and I'm on the train. I look out the window, and what catches my attention is a sign that says Rahway, New Jersey. Okay, uh, you know, you pass many, many signs. But I look at that sign, and I said to myself, I knew somebody from Rahway, New Jersey. I remember this guy telling me that he was from Rahway, new jersey he was in the fraternity that i was pledging when i was at i spent a year at carnegie mellon studying engineering and i remembered him okay that's nice i go to the book fair uh and now i'm going to go from new york city and return to oregon and now it's like june 1st so i'm on the plane the new issue of the hemisphere magazine is there i grab it i don't look at at it and i put it in my attaché case I get back to Ashland after this four-day trip, so to speak. And the first thing I do is I look at a pile of mail. And there's a big envelope on the counter, and I open it up. It's from Hemisphere's magazine. In fact, it was what? the magazine that I had just picked up for June, put in my attache case. It says, see page 24, whatever it was. I open it up, and lo and behold, there's an article a review of my travel guides <laughs> sitting right in that magazine. Okay, well, well, that was something. So now I go up to my loft office, and I look and see: Did I get any travel guide orders uh, on, uh, you know, from my website while I was on the trip? And uh, you know, sometimes you get one from Europe or South America or Mexico or somewhere in the U.S. But lo and behold, here's an order from Ashland, right down the street, so to speak. I couldn't believe it. I never got an order for one of my travel guides from where I lived. Very odd. And I look at that and I uh, look at the name and I'm thinking, this is familiar, you know, and I, I think, okay, I'll call them up or I'll email them and say, how would you like me to personally deliver this to your door? Or you can come over and come see my llama ranch and pick it up there. So I emailed them that, that and they thought that was kind of funny. And then I realized this name, this name, where did I see this name? And I emailed back and I said, are you the Jan Chakin from Rahway, New Jersey that I knew at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh 42 years earlier? I get a phone call. The guy on the phone says, I would be that Jan Chaykin. <laughs> he was the guy that I remembered from Rahway, New Jersey. He came over with his wife. They picked up their guides. And I said, how did you yeah. notice these travel guides? And they said, well, we, were, we do statistics for the New York subways, crime statistics, and this was about public transportation. We're interested in that. We saw the article in Hemisphere magazine. So, come on, how do you explain wow. that away as yeah. coincidence? Wow. <laughs> All right. Okay, here's another one. This had to do with crop circles in England. I was friends with, knew uh, a fellow by the name of Ron Russell, who was very active in researching crop circles, and he told me, that he and a friend went into a crop circle one night, and the uh, friend was going to do some meditation in in the crop circle. And Ron said, look, I'm going to go back to the car. I've got to get more film. So he starts walking back to his car along these tram lines that the tractors are on. And he said, well, the odd thing was that the tram lines are usually parallel. But he kept walking, and they ended in a point together you know, joining together. That's not how these tractor lines work. And then he begins to see what looks like little fires in the distance, and he hears children and voices and dogs barking, and he suddenly realizes he thinks he went into a time warp. He never got back to his car. He saw something like an ancient village. And then he started thinking, well, this is too dangerous. I can't go in there. They'll look at me, and they'll think I'm from outer space, literally. So he thinks he's got to go back to his friend in the crop circle and tell him what happened and maybe bring him down to see this. He gets back to the crop circle, and he feels like an hour was, had disappeared. And he said, uh, I apologize for being gone for so long. And his friend said, no, you've only been gone for 15 minutes. And he relates to his friend what had happened. He says, come on, we got to walk back there. i got to show you this. And they start walking down the parallel tracks of the tractor, lines, and instead of getting back to what he, where he thought he was before, to some kind of ancient village, he gets back to the car where the film was. So he could never go back, could never repeat that. But uh, uh, Ron has had some very interesting experiences. I think I've uh, recorded two or three of them and included them in the Roads of Strange books. So those are just a couple of examples. Naturally, uh, Rosemary and I tried to put very very interesting, very uh strange and unusual but hopefully believable experiences try to make some sense out of it. We were writing uh, little sections to try to uh give some meaning to some of these events as best we could and we uh we called those commentaries, so we built those into our books so there is, those are two for there's a, a good f- example.
0: There's a very famous uh, Twilight Zone episode that features William Shatner where he's on an airplane and uh, he keeps looking out the window and he sees, I think, I, what they call, I can't remember if it was called a goblin or a gremlin. I'm not sure what. You know. I
1: remember. I saw that one. Yeah. And uh,
0: he keeps looking out. He sees this this being, this uh, creature on the wing of the airplane pulling, you know, trying to pull metal off the wing. And, you know, it's <laughs> making him panic. And but yeah. no one else, no one else can see it. And the other reason I th- I thought of that is because I would be, con- <laughs> I'm not sure what the word is, but I think I would I, I'd be hesitant to want to hear. Although I'm going to ask you if you know any any uh, paranormal plane stories. Do you know of anybody who's been on an airplane that has experienced anything paranormal? Maybe even a UFO sighting out the window.
1: Oh yes, uh, a, a number of uh, uh, stories of people seeing things out the window. In fact, I was trying to interview a, a man who lives on Bainbridge Island here who said that he was on a plane, saw a, a UFO out the window, got a chance. These were, this was in the older days. He got a chance to talk to the captain who said he saw the same thing. So I'm trying to sit him down to interview him. I haven't uh, matched that up yet. But, yes, I had some flight attendants tell me about an experience of an apparition on a plane that scared the Ooh. the you-know-what out yeah. of them, mm-hmm. uh, although nothing bad happened. But uh, And I had a couple of flight attendants tell me about uh, a hotel in American Samoa that uh, uh, had a, a, a Navy plane crash into it, and uh, uh, when they rebuilt the new wing of that hotel, they said that there were apparitions uh, uh, appearing, uh, becoming... Uh, showing up at that uh, rebuilt wing of the old hotel. Uh, So you do hear some airline stories, of course. And and yes, I've talked to, I've interviewed a a captain of a British Airways flight who uh, saw uh, UFOs on two different occasions and he started talking about it and he lost his wings. He was given a desk job. Uh, So, you know, airline pilots, uh, take good care not to uh often uh, talk about these things, but these days uh people are talking more and more, and we 're yeah. seeing uh newspaper articles and t v programs about it, so it's becoming a little more open
0: yeah than I, it used I th- to be I think you've probably uh seen and read uh, some of the headlines about navy pilots now coming forward yes. with uh, their stories, and it seems to be a new. Uh, era of openness, not complete openness, but the, but I think right. the military is now at least interested in hearing these stories and not so uh, anxious to hush them, um, whether they think yeah, it's extraterrestrial uh, uh, or not, I'm not they're, sure.
1: They're not so interested, they don't seem to be that interested in really revealing much more latest, right uh, either. Right. But, uh, you know, we're keeping a wary eye open to seeing what evolves from these latest stories uh, Appearances of more openness.
0: So you said you're working on or trying to uh, put together plans for book number three in the Road to Strange series. Is that uh, that a green-lighted project, or are you still working on the the, uh, ideas?
1: Well, uh, you know, Joe feels, uh, Rosemary's husband, feels that our two books have been doing quite well, and he's wanted to do that, and I'm going to uh, start talking to him later this month. Uh, and see if he's ready to tackle that project with me. Uh, I'm also uh, doing one of my more conventional uh, Travel Tales series books, too. I have a huge collection of close calls and great escapes by people in all sorts of situations uh, who could have been in more danger than they were. They managed to avoid it, get away from it, escape it. And uh, so I'm doing a, a book on close calls and great escapes, Uh, I'm also writing one on pickpocketing. So I've got all kinds of subjects that I want to do those books on. People can see what some of these books are like uh, on my website. They can tool around, see it there, go to Amazon uh, or their favorite bookstores and order them if they're interested in it.
0: And that was going to be my next question. Where can people get them? But you kind of beat me to it. So, um, well, it's it's, it's always interesting and it's a great conversation. Michael, thanks so much for being here tonight. And I hope that you'll come back after the next book is released.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, all the best.
0: Oh, one more question I have for you. And I meant to ask yes. this before, I, before we said goodbye. You must have some words of advice for people that are simply afraid to travel, and I don't mean the kind of people that are so comfortable at home they don't want to leave, you know, their county, as we talked about earlier. I'm talking about people that actually have a fear of travel. Uh, You must have some words of wisdom for those folks.
1: Yeah. Do you remember that movie? I think it was What About Bob? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you too much who was in it, but that was uh, uh, wasn't that Bill
0: Murray, Bill Murray, and Richard Dreyfuss? Maybe.
1: Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, think. I think Bill Murray. Uh, and the whole idea was to take baby steps. Uh, start out with a staycation. In other words, something that's out of your immediate environment. Take the weekend, get used to it, build up your confidence, and know that the more you travel, uh, the better you feel about it, the more experienced you are, the more you develop and grow personally. And you find it to be rewarding. And, and I just tell you a couple of really quick anecdotes. Yeah, sure. I remember two people telling me how they lost their fear of heights, uh, through their travels. One woman suddenly realized, my God, I'm standing on top of this hotel near the ledge and she was not afraid of heights anymore. And I heard the same story by somebody else by taking baby steps to travel locally and then being a little more adventurous, uh, you'll grow from being a tourist to a traveler. And with that, all the self-confidence and the idea of there's so much wonderful wonderment out there that you just need to take baby steps.
0: Wise advice. And this time I, I mean it when I say we have to have you back <laughs> when the next book <laughs> is released. And thank you so much for being here tonight.
1: You're welcome good
0: night okay so again the website is michael's name michael brian and brian is spelled b-r-e-i-n michaelbrian.com you'll get a lot of information about his work there and his books